Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Create Ideas in Commercial Real Estate. This is your host, Ashley Koltonsky. Today, I'm sitting here with Marty Sweeney, Senior Vice President and Property Acquisitions Manager of M&J Wilco out of Chicago. Hey, Marty. Morning, Ashley. Good morning. So happy to oh. talk to you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's a pleasure to reconnect. Yeah. So first of all, well, let me just give a little bit of a background. M&J Wilco, you guys are investors. Your team acquires, manages, and sells um, commercial real estate assets kind of all over the U.S. You're in a lot of major markets, um, Pittsburgh being one of them, which is how we know each other. You've had great success in Pittsburgh. So just a little background, M&J, as, as you mentioned, we're a uh, uh, a nationwide investment and management firm. We own uh, and manage about 13 million square feet, half of which is uh, office buildings. And the other half, this is roughly half, is open air retail. Uh, we've been in business for 80 years. The Wilco family, uh, based in Chicago, I've been with them about 30 years at this point now. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're really national in scope. We've got two properties in Hawaii. We've been invested heavily in the past in San Francisco uh, through uh, Colorado uh, and then um, all the way uh, east to Florida and the Carolinas. But Pittsburgh, frankly, is our largest market of the 13 million square feet. Uh, over a third of it is in uh, Western Pennsylvania. Oh, that's awesome. I actually didn't know that Pittsburgh was your largest market. So yay, yes. lucky us. Lucky yeah, us. We're, <laughs> this October will be the 10-year anniversary. Oh, that's amazing. So the Waterford Technology Center is a cool project in, in the waterfront and big box retail space converted into office very successfully. Yes. And so uh, I'm really, really pleased with how, how that turned out for us, frankly. And so, you know, Open air retail has evolved greatly in the you know the almost ten years now that we've owned the waterfront, and you know we've wanted to stay in front of you know the the wave of change as much as possible in a lot of ways, including marketing, uh, which we'll touch on I hope at some point because it's a very very big component to our access down at the waterfront. Frankly, is our marketing program there, which we started from scratch, uh, and is frankly is is one national marketing awards uh, in the shopping center industry. But the uh, the Waterfront Technology Center, you know, that was a standalone Macy's department store uh, owned by Macy's. And we, we always knew that Macy's didn't do well there. Uh, and what we've what we've all learned is Macy's really wasn't doing well anywhere. Uh, but we approached them and said, uh, frankly, you know, before you uh, close and put this up for sale, just know that we want to be the buyers. And, and that uh, and they and they accepted that, and they worked with us, and we and, and we were able to buy it from them. But our our interest, frankly, was was defensive uh, to begin with. Uh, you know, the property, the building, the Macy's building sits in the middle of our town center. Uh, you know, the the fragile part of our property, and the uh, uh, the the Macy whoever owned the Macy's building, and at that time it was Macy's, had approval rights on really anything we were to, to do in the common area, if we wanted to expand a building, if we wanted to take down a building, if we wanted to put a patio on a restaurant, we would need Macy's approval. So buying the building from Macy's, we bought all of those veto rights, approval rights, if you will. And so that in and of itself was worth it for us. And then we had to figure out what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And you know, some people wanted to turn it into retail. 
uh, and you know, the waterfront is is a great asset in a lot of ways, but one thing it doesn't do very well is is sell things, which you know is surprising for a shopping center. But what it does really well is it sells experiences, its entertainment, its food and beverage components mm -hmm. have all done extremely well. It just isn't anywhere you're going to go to buy, uh, you know, uh, evening wear or business clothes or things like that. So we wanted to de-emphasize away from apparel uh, down at the waterfront and. Uh, uh, I had noticed that in Chicago, uh, large floor plates, office floor plates, 50,000 square feet and larger on a single floor were in, were in really high demand uh, to the point where a friend of mine in Chicago, an investment broker with JLL, did a study and the occupancy rate on buildings that had floor plates of 50,000 square feet or larger was like 96% and the overall market was 86%. And if you're a hundred thousand square feet or larger, the occupancy rate was like 98%. So users absolutely wanted extremely large floor plates to consolidate operations and to enhance collaboration. And so, you know, I viewed, I looked at the Macy's building 270,000 square foot floor plates as potentially that opportunity. And uh, you know, Siemens was the first uh, tenant to contact us through Joe uh, Tassi over at Oxford Development, and uh, you know they saw the vision and they had three separate offices. They wanted to consolidate into one spot. They loved the fact that right, you know, they had all this free parking, and uh, right outside the front door would be you know 27 food and beverage options, movies. There's a Barnes and Noble steps from the front door. Uh, and they loved it. And so they signed a 70,000 square foot lease that got the redevelopment kickstarted off. Uh, and then really right after we started the redevelopment, turning a department store into a class A office building, you know, that involved, you know, windows, the building had no windows except mm -hmm. for the, its entrances, HVAC electrical, you know, the, the middle of the floor had large openings for escalators that it had to be filled in. Then this uh, the CCA approached us, the Commonwealth Charter Academy, which is a, a charter school, a virtual charter school, uh, sanctioned in, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, where all they do are, are production labs and office space. There's no classrooms; it's all virtual, and and they took off, if you will, during during the pandemic. Uh, their enrollment shot up, and uh, they ended up leasing seventy thousand square feet from us on the first floor. So they so the building. Uh, was 100% leased, uh, really, as we started the redevelopment construction. And then this January, the CCA approached us and really made us an offer we couldn't refuse to buy the building from us. So it was a, a complete, you know, you know, full circle uh, opportunity uh, for us to, to completely redevelop the building. Uh, you know, the, the economic financial impact was uh, extremely favorable though it wasn't even our highest consideration. And now, uh, you know, the residual is we have, we have about 500 well-paid well engineers and education professionals at the property Monday through Friday, uh, eating lunch, shopping at our center, and really adding vibrancy to the property. And, and mm -hmm. uh, it's, it was a great outcome, frankly. And I'm glad NAOP uh, recognized it with the redevelopment of the year award which is yeah. our second in Pittsburgh now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that project, it's so interesting that you talk about the kind of the size of the floor plates and that being interesting. I think that totally makes sense. 
but what it, my my only question on that is light penetration to that kind of floor plate is that the biggest challenge and difficulty that's a great question and the the answer is yes by far it it, it was the biggest issue to the point where we actually looked at you know before Siemens came on and took the second floor, we looked at, you know, do we put in skylights or do we mm -hmm. put in a, like a light well through the center of the building? And uh, Siemens came in, the, the ceiling heights, thankfully, were so high inside that old, you know, I called it an old department store, but the building was actually built in 2004. So it's not that old, mm -hmm. but the ceiling heights were, um, you know, they were like uh, 18 to 20 feet. So, uh, Siemens was able to, to build an open layout for the most part. And they used a lot of glass and, uh, you know, the natural light from the windows that were put in, you know, especially, you know, designed relative to height and size to bring in as much natural light as possible. They were able to reach into, into the, uh, you know, the most inward parts of the, of the floor plate, but that was absolutely a challenge for them. Yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. Well, very cool. Thanks for sharing that story. And you know, I, natural light, to your point, it's interesting, you know, when, when uh, tenants, employees are surveyed, you know, the number one amenity they want, it's not the gym, it's not the rooftop deck, it's not the, you know, the lounge, which we do as, as, you know, as quickly as we can in every building, they want natural light. It's the number mm -hmm. one thing consistently in a survey. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Yeah, we've, we've, I've touched upon it, <clears throat> excuse me, in a number of podcasts and we just had one on well building design that there you go. natural light and plants as you're sitting with a plant behind you and I have a plant <laughs> behind me. Yeah. Those things matter to employee wellness for sure. Um, well, great. Thanks for sharing that story and a little more background on it. I think, um, well-deserved. We look forward to celebrating you in August at the awards banquet. Thank you. Yeah. You interviewed me. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm looking telecast. forward to see see how that um, that video you had a very turned deep out. Voice during that interview. <laughs> uh, so tell me when you're looking at sites or potential assets, what what are the most important aspects that you're evaluating? First and foremost, it's the market, and and you know we you know, literally the you know the cliche is you know what is it from 30,000 feet, you know, from the airplane. And so, you know, what is the, the overall market, like the city you're going to invest in? Where is it headed? That's the number one question. So we got into San Francisco in the, in the mid nineties, we were lucky enough to see, you know, the, the tech boom was starting. And so we, we wanted to get ride that wave. And so uh, we really looked, you know, hard at, you know, where was that market headed? Uh, you know, Pittsburgh is a, is a great example. In, in you know, 11 years ago or 10 years ago, uh, I, the first uh, opportunity I worked on was the Candle Gate Center. It was for sale. Uh, JLL broker, the same broker who did the study on the floor plates, was marketing it for sale back in 2011. And, uh, you know, I was having a call with him and he said, uh, he said, I apologize, all the noise in the background, and I'm at the Pittsburgh uh, airport. And I said, what are you doing at Pittsburgh? Why would you be in Pittsburgh? And he said, oh, you don't know what's going on here, do you? And I said, no. And he said, well, I'll send, you, uh, I'll send you a market report, and I'll send you a white paper. And he, you know, the market report was you know, an office report showing you know, absorption going up, vacancy going down, rental rates. You know, this is 10 years ago. Rental rates were, were spiking. 
and your market was growing with, you know, your meds, eds and, and your tech industry. And it was all under the radar nationally at the time. Mm-hmm. And the white paper was all about, you know, the turnaround that, that your city has done so extremely well. And it, you know, piqued my interest. And thankfully, so I was ignorant on Pittsburgh at the moment. And, you know, here was a macro, here was, here was a great macro story happening that I wasn't even aware of, uh, you know, Pittsburgh's, uh, you know, the, the business community, the education community, uh, you know, the collaboration that was happening between all of those stakeholders were creating all of this great economic activity. And then you couple that. And, and so where San Francisco and Pittsburgh, really, I, I found, you know, a lot of parallels, you know, um, even though they're vastly different cities in so many ways, though, one, you had a, a premium on, on edu- an educated workforce and um, new technologies. And two, you had barriers to entry. And what I mean by that is, like, I'm here in Chicago, and and the developers here, you know, as soon as they can knock down some old, you know, 10 story historic building, they will and they'll build a 70 uh, story 1 million square foot skyscraper. And, you know, suck all the wind out of the existing building market in a heartbeat. It happens daily here. It's Mm -hmm. a developer's dream. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, well, San Francisco had barriers to entry from a, a political and legal standpoint. They only allow you to build 800,000 square feet annually of new office space. There's a legal cap on how much office space can get bit, bit, mm. built. Mm-hmm. And so if there's high demand and limited supply, that's great if you own something there. Pittsburgh's barrier to entry was your topography. You have, you know, your flat land is is hard to come by here. And so, uh, you know, the ability, that's why your downtown for a small downtown is so vertical. It's, uh, you know, the, the idea that you, you, you can quickly build large scales of competitive space, either in the retail side or the office side, is difficult here uh, because of your topography. And I really liked that kind of defense that, w- that existed when you buy existing buildings. We're not developers. We don't build from the ground up. We buy existing underappreciated properties and try and bring it back to life. And so uh, that part of Pittsburgh, those two things really appealed to me in Pittsburgh. So we really start at the top. You know, what, where is that market headed? Yeah. And you guys, it's been such a perfect fit here. I mean, what you did with 420 Boulevard of the Allies that, you know, seeing that firsthand, how you can come in and really give the whole building a complete makeover and make it sellable, usable and relevant again. Super, super well done on a number of your assets here. It's, it's really, it's so gratifying to see. And it's why commercial real estate is it to me such a, a great industry because you can seal it, you, you see it, you can feel it, you can touch it, right? You know, it's not a financial mm-hmm. indus- in, in, instrument that we're just buying and selling off a computer screen. Yeah. I love the fact, I love walking properties. And so in Pittsburgh, you know, to, to see for the 420 of the Boulevard building now, even though we don't own it anymore, cleaned up and in, 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 in it's all its grandeur, 717 Grand Street, which, uh, you know, was we bought from the Federal Reserve Bank as a vacant, you know, rundown bank building is now a thriving hotel. Uh, the old Sears at Penn Center East, we turned into a retail and self-storage, self-enclosed uh, self-storage facility to gorgeous from the outside now in Wilkins Township. And then, you know, the Macy's down at the waterfront, it, it's great now to be able to drive around Pittsburgh and see those, those tangibles, examples of what our, 
what our work is done. Now we've mm-hmm. done it all for profit. Don't get me wrong. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're greedy developers, but um, there's a part of me that loves um, the built environment and seeing yeah. it thrive. Yeah. You're certainly making a difference. We see that. Um, so let's, let's dig into, I want to know my big question. Of course, I love the creative and marketing side of things, and we've worked together on some projects previously. So tell me, talk to, talk to everyone about what you think is important, um, in marketing when it comes to marketing properties as a developer, uh, just, just give us your feedback on marketing. So I've really evolved in marketing, frankly, and, and really the, 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 the two reasons are one, the, the, the Pittsburgh experience has really helped me appreciate the value of marketing. And that's, you know, working with people like you on, and, and, you know, Jason Stewart and his team on, on office buildings. And then our experience down at the waterfront and trying to really, um, I don't want to say revive, but to to uh, you know, the waterfront was is a project that everybody in Pittsburgh knows. Everybody in Pittsburgh has an opinion on. Not all good either, <laughs> and so you know, it really was a a a a a work to try and and make the waterfront relevant in people's minds again. And we, I think, we've been very successful in doing that. And marketing played a huge role. Uh, but every property is a little different in, in in the way you have to approach it with marketing, like a. Like, you know, a fully leased office building doesn't really need a great, uh, you know, a robust marketing program. But like, you know, uh, 20 Stanwix, for example, our, our down, one of our downtown office buildings, we had four vacant floors at the top of the building, 100,000 square feet, recently leased by Dollar Bank for their new headquarters. But before that, you know, it was the, it was the, um, you know, the reason for a large marketing campaign. And, and, and really what you, what, what, on the office side, when we market our buildings, it's really evolved into, and you've seen it, actually. I've seen your work product. You know, you, you've worked on our campaigns and, and we steal uh, ideas for our mm-hmm. campaigns from campaigns I see in other markets. Yep. Uh, and, you know, with the office buildings, you really want to try and create a sense of, of community and and more than so than ever coming out of COVID where, you know, you know people don't need the sea of cubes really anymore. So why do they need to go down to the office building? Uh, and, and to me, it's really to, to foster your, your corporate culture, whatever that is. And, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we're part of that. And so more than ever, you have to have a welcoming, welcoming office building. And I see that they're going to be, there's going to be more hospitality and kind of residential features brought into our office buildings because, you know, the, the live work, line was blurred, you know, pretty heavily pre-COVID and it doesn't exist post-COVID. And so the office buildings really have to be an extension of your homes, the way your homes have become an extension of your office. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, so the office buildings have to market to that. And, and, you know, how do you do that? You know, I think outdoor spaces uh, are, are going to be um, more in demand than ever now. And it's not just, it's not just throwing a few chairs on a a concrete, you know, slab outside your front door, you really have to create something like the outdoor living rooms people have in their homes or what, what we want to try and create at our office buildings, either on the roof or a terrace or, you know, like Levin Stanwicks. We're very fortunate to have a, a large landscaped private secure patio uh, plaza, really, um, that, uh, you know, as we speak, we're, we're um, fever, feverishly um, uh, 
uh, adding furniture and pergolas and fire pits. And as our employees and our tenants come back this summer and fall, you know, they're going to have an entire out, outdoor experience to, uh, you know, to really enjoy. And, and so we're going to market that. And you're going to see marketing campaigns really centered around you know, our outdoor, our, the ability for you to, to um, connect to your Wi-Fi for free outdoors and, and, you know, enjoy our outdoor plaza while you work. Um, you know, we're, we're really going to promote um, you know, the, the fact that we have, you know, a large uh, parking garage. You know, people are, st I still think people are either leery or they're, um, they haven't fully embraced public transportation yet again. So, I think the idea of a parking garage will be big, but really with the office buildings, it's creating this sense of community more than ever. But on the retail side, it's completely different. Some, some projects don't need any marketing, like a, you know, if a grocery anchored center with a couple of small stores, it doesn't really need a large marketing campaign, but a property like the waterfront, which is so multifaceted, you know, we, you know, we have a, we have a component there. We have a large power center with, you know, Best Buy, and TJ Maxx and Target and Giant Eagle. Well, those guys market themselves. Uh, what, what we need to market our, uh, is the town centerpiece where our restaurants are and where our, our boutique retailers exist. And those guys, they, they live and die off of foot traffic. And so we have to create that foot traffic. And we do that through marketing. And when we bought the waterfront, there was a zero marketing budget. There was no campaign whatsoever. Uh, and slowly over the last 10 years, we went from a zero marketing budget to a half a million dollar marketing budget. We have a full-time marketing director, Emily Whitmer, who is amazing down there. Uh, we, we have a presence on virtually every social media channel. The waterfront does. I'm not even talking about M&J. Mm -hmm. To the point where we now have 50,000, I guess, friends or followers on our, on our Facebook page, over yeah. 50,000. And uh, you know, so we, we, we push our property through those channels. We push our tenants through, their, through those channels. We encourage our tenants to approach us with any, with any kind of sale campaigns, uh, or, or specials they're running, events they're doing. And then we have a large scale event program down there where we, we do you know, yoga on the square on, on Saturday mornings. We do, uh, we do um, you know, bike roundups. We're attached to the Great Allegheny, the Greater Allegheny um, Passage bike path, literally rolls right through the waterfront. We're the mm -hmm. most bike friendly uh, open air shopping center in Western Pennsylvania. We have more, more bike racks. Uh, we, we have more events for bikers at, at our property. We hold a, a very large scale light up night now of our own in, in December where we light a very large Christmas tree and bring in Santa, et, et cetera, um, to recognize the large you know Jewish population in Squirrel Hill in the east side of Pittsburgh. We also have an incredibly large Hanukkah night as well. Uh, that a few years ago we we um, we tied into the tree of life, um, uh, in in a in a really special uh, event that we did down there with them, really at their encouragement. Um, that uh, that really was um, you know just an amazing night. But those are the and we have concerts over the summer, and and that'll really start picking up now that the the. Uh, you know, society has reopened. Yeah. And so, so it's a completely different approach for that kind of property than, than like, uh, say we own a small property out at the airport, that's six tenants, you know, uh, lazy boy, bed, bath and beyond old Navy. Uh, you know, we don't have to 
do you know there's no events there mm-hmm. um but you know so it really have to be very property specific and yeah. really craft your marketing campaigns to the needs of that specific property i know you know it because i've seen you do it in action mm-hmm. but you know we both see campaigns out there that are really just cookie cutter mm-hmm. and they're not relevant at all to the property and it's a mess yeah i think what i'm you know and we do know this but sharing with the greater good and what i'm picking up on a lot of what you're saying is really making something unique to the property. It's really, and when I start marketing a specific building, say an office building, understanding it and knowing it and learning it and, and knowing like what, what is the, I kind of say the soul of the property, like what is it all about? And awesome. that, in, that informs, you know, the colors, the vibe of it and the, the, the marketing um, pieces that we steal from other markets, you know, like they aren't even using the term office buildings. You know, there's talking about the soul of this, the vibe of the companies that are in this building. If you are cool and you are a tech company or you, you're some trendy company, some startup, you want to be here because we do cool stuff in our building. And so another part of what you're mentioning is really activating it with your property management in, in conjunction with your marketing team, events, tenant things, you know, doing yoga on the plaza at 11 Stanwicks, which you've done, you know, these things matter because they are, like you said, not, it's not just your workplace anymore. It's your community. It's your environment. It's this, it's the second place that you're most often, you know, present other than your home and with your family. So bringing a lot of those, um, you know, just unique experiences are game changers, I think. And it really differentiates kind of, you know, older office buildings to new innovative ownership. And that's what I see with M&J Wilco, what you guys are doing. So. Well, well thank you. And, and, and I, I got to, I'm going to steal your, you know, some of the things you just said there, the soul of the building. I mean, I love it. It, you know, it, look, I just talked about how much I love the fact that we, you know, in this industry, we see, feel, and touch. To me, buildings are alive, and and I, there's nothing worse than a dead building. Uh, I love seeing old dead buildings get brought back to life and see their souls come out in them. I mean, I mean it. It sounds, it sounds weird, but I guess I'm a weird guy, and you know, it's it's in my DNA. You know, that's why you're good take, at what you do <laughs> when, when, when I'm on vacation, you know, my, you know, my family's cringe. Cause you know, I take them on these walking tours through neighborhoods and we stop and we're looking at doorknobs and window treatments and cornices at the top of buildings. And you know, these 20 somethings, they think I'm crazy, but it's no, what I love. You're, you're in and, the right know, industry. You're doing the right thing. <laughs> but I, I like that, you know, the, 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 where, where we're headed now, just to pick up on what you just said is it's almost a little bit of FOMO here, the fear of missing out. We, we want to create that with our office buildings now, you know, and I like the idea of, of trying to get rid of the term office building. It's going to be yeah. a new goal of mine, but, you know, to, to get, you know, people and companies to, to, to view your, your, you know, your building, your, your property, the community you started there as a place that we need to be. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about the yoga at 11 Stanwicks. We brought up, you know, we have a, we brought a boutique. You know, one of the things I really, really like to do is bring some touch of, of local authentic flavor to our properties. When we bought the waterfront and 
October of 2012, I remember stating multiple times that you could have dropped me from a helicopter onto this property and I'd have, and I'd have no idea I was in Pittsburgh uh, at all. Every single tenant, and there's 70 tenants, 70 separate spaces there. Not all were occupied when we bought it, but every one that was occupied was a national tenant, not one local tenant no Pittsburgh flavor whatsoever. And so um, it was a goal of mine to try and bring some authentic local flavor there. And we did. We first thing, first lease we signed was with Burgatory. Uh, we brought in Burgatory, brought in Permani Brothers. We bought it, brought in El Campesino, you know, three local food guys. Uh, we brought in, there's a, there's a gentleman, um, uh, really a success story, Walt Rainey, local uh, Steel Valley guy who wanted to open up a little um, fudge and chocolate shop called Fudge Farm and gave him a temporary lease. Uh, you know, that was like eight years ago. Now he's on a long-term lease and he, he has a restaurant on Carson Street on the south side and, he, and he's in the midst of building out a new space at the waterfront called Boards and Baskets. He's going to offer, you know, charcuterie boards and gift baskets mm. out of a, a vacant space. And there's a guy who's already an existing business who's, who wanted to double down at our shopping center Burgatory, uh, you know, it's the second most successful Burgatory in their chain at the waterfront. They, as soon as Bar Louie went bankrupt during COVID, they approached us and signed a lease for the Bar Louie space right across from Burgatory to turn it into Shorty's Tacos and, and Pins, a new concept of theirs. And so, and El Campesino wants to open up a second concept at the waterfront. So now we have all of this Pittsburgh flavor down there. And, and, and I love that. At 11 Stanwicks, I went to, I went to do, I wanted to spin one night when I was in town and I saw a spinning place out in um, Bethel Park. So I just took a drive down there and I went spinning at this, at this uh, studio. And afterwards I told, and it was amazing. Uh, uh, experience because of all the uh, the technology and music and video they brought in. It was it was so much better than any of them I'd ever done before. I said, I need you. I need you at the waterfront. I want to bring you to the waterfront. And they said, no, no, no. All of our members are, are either downtown or moving downtown or work downtown. We want to be downtown. So we carved out an old janitor space in 11 Stanwicks and, and created a space for them down there. And they still have their, their studio. And what they'll do is they'll bring all the bikes up to the patio and they'll do free events for our tenants. Yeah. Like one Friday or Thursday, they'll have just hour long spinning classes on our patio, our plaza. And we'll bring a drone and we'll video all that. And we'll put it into our marketing pieces and try and create this sense of, of fun. You know, mm -hmm. come to 11 yeah. Stanwicks, not to yeah. work, but to have fun. Right. You've definitely Get the hell out of your home. Yeah. You've activated these spaces and, and it's such a different way. And I think that's, what's really important. And I think the younger generations of office, um, the workforce want that, you know, we are experiential me speaking as a millennial, we are experiential. We go out to right. eat, to experience things. We're not you know, and so that's what I think we're seeking in our office space as well. We want to have all of the amenities. We want to feel like we're a part of the club, you know, at our office building and however your, we can do that. Your, your generation is, is so um, unfairly, you know, tainted as all they do is stare at their phones. And, and all I see is as soon as something reopens here in COVID, I see nothing but young people congregating together you know it's so odd or at least a month ago it was so odd to see like you know 20 people you know gathered around a, a a table at a bar right you know it'd scare you 
but but as soon as you're able to do that you know your generation immediately went back to that because you're social animals you, know, you could have mm-hmm. stayed in touch on the phone but yeah. you had to get together and yeah. and you know i kudos and and i and, and 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 it just it reinforced to me what you just said that you know that that your generation which is really leading the way now um it desperately wants to be together mm-hmm. yeah i agree so tell talk to us about um I'm curious about other markets, and I know we touched a little bit on some ideas, but are you seeing, first of all, since COVID, any any broker events, any any fun kind of marketing gear back up, um, or if you have like a favorite campaign that you think would be cool to implement or start to start to spin some ideas in Pittsburgh? I'd love to hear about them. Well, it you know it's it's been interesting because you're. For 12 of the last 15 months, it's been really quiet on the office building marketing side, just because no one knew what to expect. And there's been so little demand, but now it's starting to come back. And, you know, I don't know of any specific campaign I'm seeing. There's there's a group in Chicago that I know you're familiar with, Telos, started by two old friends of mine uh, who used to work at M&J Wilco. They, they branched off and opened up their own boutique agency leasing firm called Telos, T-E-L-O-S. And, and you know, they, they just create these very fun marketing campaigns, very specific to the buildings. You know, either they'll play off the name of the building or they'll play off some feature of the building. Like, for example, one, one South Wacker, which is a million square foot, 1980s, early 90s office building here in Chicago that was, um, you know, had seen better days. It had dark tinted windows uh, on it um, that at the time were, you know, meant to, you know, to keep the heat load from the building. Um, but, you know, really just, you know, when, you, when you're inside and looking out, it, it's not a great view and you know the window technology has gotten so much better now you don't have to tint the windows like that Mm -hmm. and so this company bought the building uh and they they did a complete um re-windowing of the building to bring in clear glass that you know is uh, created in a way not to to bring in the heat load and the campaign that telos uh you know uh, worked off of that was really like a day in the sun you know you know, bring your sun, uh, you know, your sunblock. And it was, it really played off of natural light and beach and, and sun and, and, and in a completely fun way. And, it, you know, they teased you. you, you'd get an email a week and sometimes you'd get, you know, something sent in the mail and, 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 you know, it would lead you to the building. And, and, you know, I, I know that like three or four times I would go and just check out the progress they were making and you know that's just one example of a campaign that I thought was was fun and on point, mm-hmm. right? It was a fun campaign because of the imaging and the and the uh, colors they used and the wording they used, but it was so on point to what they were doing in that building. They were creating a building that was going to be filled with natural light, and mm-hmm. it worked. They've done done very well with it. Yeah, very. I like that because it's very specific and memorable. So I love the the creative marketing ideas when you're doing something, like we did. We did the campaign for 420 Boulevard of the Allies, undergoing these the renovations, and we teased the rendering with the the new space. And if you just keep pushing those out on a routine basis, you know, 
people remember that it's like, oh, that the green marketing campaign, oh, they're doing renovations there, they're doing renovations. So you keep hitting them with that idea over and over again. It's gonna stick, it's gonna be memorable. They're gonna get curious about it. They're gonna wanna see the building in person, tour it, or at least have that on their tour list with their clients. So there was a, there was a campaign tied to 420 um, that really was one of, that remains one of my favorite campaigns ever. And we, we, along with, you know, you and your, the team you worked with at the time, we sat down and, you know, produced a list of like, you know, 15 of the, of the, you know, key tenant reps in the market at that time. And we sent them all we wheeled into each of their offices, a little dorm fridge mm, mm-hmm. um, branded for 420. And, and, and we, we sent two, you know, six packs of craft beer. And then once a month, we would send another six pack of craft beer that was branded for 420 and it included new imagery and, mm-hmm. and new teasing uh, information about the renovations and what we were offering there. And, and, you know, I, in the amount of buzz and, and feedback we got from that campaign, that campaign was, was huge. And, and it's something that I think we'll probably use again, you know, at the right time and at the right property. Yeah. I love the hard mailer campaigns. I think Agreed. So, we talk about, I was talking about this with someone else the other day. Um, the, the emails, we get so many emails, we get lost in our emails. We delete them quickly. We don't have time anymore. We all know this mail me something. I love getting mail. Get, send me a card, the personalization behind that. It sits on your desk. Even if it's silly, even if it's stupid, you're not going to use it. It's hanging up in your office. You're going to, it's going to sit there. It's in front of you. It's an actual physical object that you can't really ignore for long. Like an email you, you can, that can be out of sight, out of mind in two seconds. But if you send something hard mailer, those campaigns, I think have a, a much higher success rate as far as, um, recall and recognition because it's there with you a hundred percent and i you know i'm old enough unfortunately to remember when when we when we as an industry said you know get away from the hard mailers we all get way too much mail and we throw it all away it's all junk mail send emails everybody's you know so uh into their email let's do email campaigns electronic electronic campaigns and now it's completely flipped we all get too many emails that we just you know quickly you know hit the you know immediately delete button don't even review them unless they're from you know a property that we know and recognize or somebody that we know and recognize and the mail when the mail stuff comes i love it and and you know again you know this is an industry this is a hard asset physical industry so sending us something hard and physical it's in our DNA. You know, we love the design. We love the colors. It's to your point. I was in my office last week and I was doing a little spring cleaning and I, and I came across, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you were with the team at the time, but Jackie did this campaign for Penn Center East where they put our, our, all of our renderings, all of our renovation and amenity rendering, renderings on one of those old, uh, what are you yeah, calling the, the, uh... the clicky the click things you know, <laughs> with know, the rotating photos that I had when I was eight and uh, I still have it. Yeah. It's the in, vintage little reel. Yeah. Yes. I can't I think of the name. A, I can't either, but you know what I'm talking about. And I, it's, I have it in a drawer and I, mm-hmm. and I hadn't thought about it in five years, but I still, I kept it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really fun. Really memorable. We need to do more of that for sure. Yeah. And I think and to your point, it'll get noticed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, great. Just 
I think my, my final question for you, Marty, and I appreciate this conversation so much. I want to know as someone super, super experienced in the industry, what do you see as the biggest change that you've either witnessed in the last five, 10 years, or that we're moving into and moving forward um, in commercial real estate, whether that's marketing related, whether that's just how we're processing and working with deals, whether that's how brokers are working with clients, whatever your thoughts are and what you've seen change and what you think is really going to be um, the, the future and forward thinking ideas that are gonna guide us in the next five, 10 years. Um, it was a great question. I think on, on, on the industry itself, like the on the ground fundamentals, the, 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 the thing that I'm going to, to be most interested in seeing how it evolves is our use of the office space and, and how, how we use it going forward. I'm a firm believer that there needs to be a, a, a touchdown space for, for businesses and corporations. There has to be to create a corporate culture. They're really, you keep, I know there are many businesses out there that are thriving and successful that are hundred uh, percent virtual. People never get in an office together and somehow they make it work and kudos to them. But I don't think that's the rule. I think it's the exception to the rule. It's the rule right now. But I think as I think people are learning, like I was in the office last week and, and um, you know, I literally the, the cliche is you have these, these impromptu, you know, coll collisions with people and you're talking and an idea comes out of it. Well, that's exactly what happened to me last week. And, and afterwards, it occurred to me, this is what all the experts are talking about. So I want to really see how it evolves. But, but there's a ton of people, even in my office, that don't need to be there. The accountants, the property accountants, you know, they're head down people. They do not need to be there. Uh, and so how do we deal with that? I, I, and, and, uh, but, you know, you leave somebody at home, you leave certain people at home, and they're going to do the minimum uh, that they have to do, and they're going to do it at the last minute. And it's just human nature. And I, and I see myself sometimes falling into that. And so I, th I do really think that there's got the, the, the industry has to figure out where the office plays uh, going forward. So I'm extremely interested in seeing that. Of, uh, I, I'm, I would buy a vacant building right now because companies are going to decide they need a completely different work environment and I want to be that landing spot. Somebody doesn't need 100,000 feet anymore. They only want 50. I want to be that landing spot. Somebody's 10,000 square feet and they're, and they're crammed together and they want more space to, you know, because of you know, what we just went through. I want to be that landing spot. But give me a multi-tenant building with 30 different tenants and 30 different expiration dates. I don't know how to figure that out yet. Like, I don't know what their work from home program is going to be. When the lease comes up in two years, will they need all their space, right? And, right. and so I'm very interested in seeing how that evolves. On the, on the marketing and technology side, I don't know if you're familiar with Placer, if you've heard of Placer. Mm -mm. So it's P-L-A-C-I-E-R. It's a, it's a uh, basically it's a geofencing company. In its, in its essence, it basically tracks um, cell phones and, and, and okay. it knows it knows um, how many cell phones show up at a front door at yeah. any moment. And so on the shopping center side, it's extremely important for us to figure out how successful a store is. 
you know, b- before we buy it, we, you know, mm-hmm. is when this lease expires in four months, is Target going to renew this lease? Or are they going to close? And, you know, they won't tell us what their sales are. Um, typically, a lot of tenants report sales. And so we know that way, but a lot of tenants don't. And so it's mm-hmm. a guessing game. And you sometimes would ask the, the manager, the store manager, how's business? And they'd say, it's great. And, you know, then they closed two months later because it wasn't. The placer data tells you exactly how many people are coming to this store. And then you could, you, you can compare it to, well, how many people are coming to the target, you know, in, you know, in the North Hills and see, well, are we on par with that one? Or are we below or are we above? How does it rank locally? Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, we've done testing now where we've compared the, the placer cell phone data to, to tenants who report their sales and how does it correlate? And it's amazing how close it correlates. And so, you know, that the the utility of that data, what can we do with that data going forward is going to be extremely valuable. It'll tell us, you know, when you left when you left the target at the waterfront, what store did you go to? Yeah. Right. Did you leave the waterfront and where did you go? And and so we want to know that. And and that data is is being mined right now in a really, really interesting way. And so many times. I've seen new technology come and go in the real estate industry because it, it had a great idea, but, but, but the, the ability to use it and to harness the data was never really user-friendly mm-hmm. and it just dies on the, on the vine. This one, I think, has some real life to it. You know, as you explained it, I did work with a technology. I don't think it was called Placer. It was called something else and it was at a different firm, um, but it was exactly what you're talking about. It was very retail-based. And I remember thinking, this is kind of creepy because they are Very basically, creepy. they're stealing all of our information yeah. based on our GPSs on our phone. But we, if that we, know can, where you're, we know where you put your phone down at night to go to sleep. So yeah. we know what trade area is coming to our shopping center. Right. And I've seen that on my Google app. You know, it's like, it knows my home address somehow. <laughs> I never plug that in. Like it just knows, it knows where I work. Um, so that is, and I'm glad you brought up that point. I think that'll be absolutely a game changer in understanding consumer behaviors and their patterns. I think especially for retail where people are spending money. Um, the the thing that does come to mind in thinking about that is, you know, online retail and how big that is and how that all plays into this world of getting people back out. I don't know. I have, I love and hate on online retail. Like it's convenient <laughs> for the both. that I know, you know, like I need, I need uh, vitamins or something easy, but there's still the experience of going in. I hate buying clothes online. I have to, I have to try them on, you know? So that'll be interesting if that is going to help with in-person retail experiences and what consumers are doing and how to analyze and then how to then market and really decide um, things for the entire retail layout as far as a business. I don't know. That's, you're exactly right. So, so for example, if in one shopping center, we see a majority of people walking out of the front door of TJ Maxx, for example, and then, you know, walking into Alta um, and another shopping center, you know, we don't have Alta and we see them walking out of TGX and getting in their cars. Let's go get Alta. Yeah. Right. Right. So we, that's the kind of data we can mine from it. Yeah. But what we've experienced. So when you talked about uh, e-commerce, what we've seen seen over the last year. So a year ago, I was definitely afraid of the future of, of open air retail. I thought COVID uh, basically 
put the final bullet in the head of open air retail and e-commerce would rule. And, and it, it totally not happened. As soon as the stores reopened, the people started showing back up. Then the sales started showing back up. And now in the first and second quarter of the year, all the pent up demand has showed up mm-hmm. and, and our, and our, and our tenants have had some of the best, um, uh, months they've ever had yeah. um, in the history of being at some of our properties in terms of physical sales. But what they learned themselves is that the physical store is an absolute must in their supply chain. The physical store, like Target, for example, Target CEO on their last earning call said that 95% of the um, home delivery that Target did initiated at the store. So 95% of the fulfillment came from the store. Mm-hmm. And the, the, uh, every one of these retailers have implemented a buy online, pick up in store policy, uh, uh, you know, they're, or they're, or they're, or they're, they're, um, they're delivering it from the store to your house. The store is a critical part of the supply chain now. And it's, it's, it's been proven uh, yeah. during COVID. And so because of that, as an owner and an investor in uh, open air shopping centers, I can tell you without without with 100% certainty, there's more investment money right now looking at open air retail than there was uh, in the last five years. It's than there was in 2019. There's more institutional money wanting open air retail today than it did two years ago. It's been incredibly eye opening. I think it all goes back to what you said earlier and just talking about working in the industry and in buildings that we are tangible. We want to like see and feel and experience things in real life as, as convenient as online shopping is great. It fills a purpose, but at the end of the day, we're seeing this big boom come out of COVID because we've all been pent up and like absolutely miserable by ourselves. We're, we're creatures that enjoy being around each other. I think we're going to see that in the office space. We enjoy ultimately coming back and being back together. And we're seeing that in retail, as you're explaining here too, that, you know, people want to get out. I'm seeing it. I'm sad about some of my favorite restaurants closing and not making it through the pandemic because now Pittsburgh is crazy. Like going out on the weekends, there are a million people outside. The weather's been great. People are happy. Like it's, you know, we're, we're just coming back to a normal. And I was there the last, I was there this week for two nights and three days. It, you know, restaurants were packed. Yeah. Packed. And so, yeah, I, I I agree. I think those data points are going to be really interesting. I think that'll be a really good taking, taking raw data like that, but really understanding it and refining it to make a plan, whether that's a marketing plan to, direct people to where you want, or it's a plan for your development as far as, you know, bringing in the right um, tenant mix that people want to see based on real research and data. I think that we're only seeing more and more, whether it's office clients, you know, tenants in the market out there, they want to know data. They want to know data points that are always backing up these decisions. So I think that that's a really cool technology that will help drive some positive impact in our industry. Well, Ashley, I really appreciate um, the opportunity to talk today. It's really been, it's been a fun hour. It's been so fun. I really appreciate this conversation. So good to catch up with you. And um, yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for being on the show, Marty. 